Today is Resurrection Sunday, but I'm going to talk just a little bit about the need for resurrection. Why, why do we celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Because something happened for Jesus to go into that tomb. And Jesus was crucified. He was, he was nailed to a cross, and he died on that cross, and then he was put in a tomb, and he had been trying to tell his disciples about it leading up to that, and they just couldn't quite understand. So here's one of the things that he said. <clears throat> and I'm in... Uh, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to be in a few different places, but we're going to start with Matthew chapter 12, and this is what Jesus said. What had happened was, and I'm starting with uh, verse 38, this is after Jesus was, it was right before he he was taken to a false trial, this is leading up to it. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, they were into seeing miracles and signs, and that's what they wanted to see from Jesus. But he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but, or except, the sign of the prophet Jonas, which you know of as Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So they took him. He laid, his, he laid his life down. But they came and they took him. They marched him to Calvary. Jesus carrying his cross. They marched him up to the skull, Golgotha, which we call Calvary and they nailed him to the cross and raised him up so that everyone could see. I'm going to read you uh, a little section out of this little book here that Arthur Pink did years ago. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were seven different times where he said something. Think about it. Think about Jesus hanging on the cross... Can you think of something that he said? Most of us know that eventually he said, it is finished. That's one of them. He said, Father, I now 
commend you, my soul, my spirit, and he, right before he gave up the ghost, he said, I thirst. You see those over in John. Now, in Matthew and Mark's account of the gospel and of the Jesus hanging, Jesus hanging on the uh, cross, you only see in Mark and Matthew, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But there's three different ones in Luke, and you only find them in Luke. And one of them is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Imagine being laid down on this big wooden cross and watching the Roman soldiers pick up that big mallet and those big spikes and pressing it against his hands and beating that spike through his hand into that wood. And then all these Roman soldiers were starting to realize something. Because anybody else, they had done this many times. And anybody else that, had, that they had taken to crucify, they would struggle to hold their hands down. Probably would take a couple soldiers to hold the arm down and the other one to be able to start beating that spike. And then they would struggle with the other arm. And then they would take the two feet and, and hold them together. Can you imagine... How hard, how hard it would be to hold somebody's feet together so you can drive a spike through both of them. But Jesus just laid there and stretched his arms out to where one person could have done the job. No struggling at all, but willingly laid his life down on that altar and he was raised up, dropped into that hole, any person who is nailed to a cross is probably in agony and pain. We know they were. And the feeling of anger and being betrayed. Think about what a person would be thinking at that time. How they would want the worst for the people who nailed them to a cross. But Jesus said, His first words was, Father, forgive them. What a mighty Savior we serve. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Reading from Arthur Pink. Man had done his worst. The one, Jesus, by whom the world was made had come into it, but the world knew him not. The Lord of glory had tabernacled among men, but he was not wanted. The eyes that sin had blinded saw him in saw him saw in him no beauty that he should be desired. At his birth there was no room in the inn, which foreshadowed the treatment he was to receive at the hands of men. Shortly after his birth, Herod sought to slay him, and this intimated the hostility his person evoked and forecast the cross as the climax of man's enmity. Again and again his enemies attempted his destruction, and now their vile desires are granted them. 
the Son of God had yielded himself up into their hands. A mock trial had been gone through, and though his judges found no fault in him, nevertheless they had yielded to the insistent clamoring of those who hated him as they cried again and again, Crucify him! The fell deed had been done. No ordinary death would suffice his implacable foes. A death of intense suffering and shame was decided upon. A cross had been secured. The Savior had been nailed to it, and there he hangs, silent. But presently, his lips are seen to move. Is he crying for pity? No. What then? Is he pronouncing cursing upon his crucifiers? No. He is praying, praying for his enemies. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The world had crucified its creator. I'm going to be reading out of uh, Matthew 27. So if you would like, turn to Matthew, starting at 62. Matthew 27, verse 62, Jesus has died on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea had to ask for the body. They had anointed the body. They were in, they were in a rush because it was the day of preparation, and they had laid Jesus in the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they had gone and watched to make sure they knew where he was laid. And while the Sabbath was going on, they went and, and bought spices. And after the Sabbath was over, they were, they were intending to go and to anoint the body more properly. And they were determined they were going to do it, probably thinking, how will we ever accomplish it with that big stone rolled over the tomb? Just imagine a big rock wall with a hole in it. And that was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man. He was secretly a disciple of Jesus, along with Nicodemus. Now, you go to the Gospel of John, you'll see where Nicodemus helped him. You won't see it in any of the other Gospels. And that big stone had been rolled over the opening. There was, this morning at uh, sunrise service, I'm, I'm, anybody who was there is going to hear this over again, but there was, there was four powers that were at the tomb. And these four powers were the civil power, the seal was put on the rock that was over, just imagine a big rock wheel, big circle that you could roll over the hole, and then they put a government seal on it that if anybody was to break that seal, they would be in huge trouble with the civil government. The, the Pharisees had gone to Pilate, and the Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus, had remembered what Jesus had said when his disciples had forgotten about it. And they said that this, this uh, deceiver said that after three days, he's going to raise, be, he's just going to come back from the dead. There must have been a little bit of belief in him and those people because they were determined to make sure he didn't come back from the dead. 
So they were thinking that maybe his disciples are going to come at night and they're going to steal the body away and say, see there, he's not in the tomb anymore. So these powers, the civil power, the religious power, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had gone to Pilate and said, we got to make sure that that doesn't happen. And he said, go and keep a watch. There was a military power. Pilate gave them Roman soldiers to go and to stand guard as well. And then there was the devil, that power, who had the power of death. So those four powers were all hanging out at the tomb to make sure that Jesus didn't come out of there. But what they didn't quite understand is that they were trying to keep bound the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There, were, there was those four powers on the outside of the tomb, but there was the power that was inside of the tomb. And that one power was the Son of God. And we've, in the first song that we sang this morning, death could not keep its prey. Now here's some verses. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That's 1 Corinthians 15, 55. But it's uh, quoting out of the Old Testament. In Acts 2, 24, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Romans 1, 4, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places? Reading uh, from uh, Matthew 27, verse 62, now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that, that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the tomb, the sepulcher, be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last heir shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as ye can. Now we know that he gave them Roman soldiers as well. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone, and setting a watch. So there's all those powers that are there to make sure that the body doesn't get stolen from the grave. Now there was visitors to the tomb as well. Many women went. The women were way more brave than the men. Most of the men were hiding. They saw what happened to Jesus. They didn't want that to happen to them. And they thought it could. The women were being very brave, and we know that uh, Mary Magdalene went to, the, went to the tomb 
We know that Peter and John, we know that they come as well. If you read all the different accounts, you might be a little confused as to who got there first and how it all plays out because it seems kind of uh, out of order. But when you read them all, you have to kind of stand back and see how it all came together and you can start uh, putting it into place and it all works out. So the women, Mary Magdalene is one that uh, was there. She had ran and told Peter and John, and they ran in, and they looked, and sure enough, just like she said, the body wasn't there. The stone had already been rolled away. John outran Peter. He was sure to make sure everybody knows. He was way faster than Peter. So John outran him, but when he got to the tomb opening, he stopped, and Peter, he ain't, he's not going to stop. So he catches up and gets in there, and he goes in. And then John gets brave enough to go in as well, and they're looking, they see the, the linen clothes laying there, nobody anywhere. But they don't see the angels. And then they turn and they go away, and then evidently Mary Magdalene goes back, and she's by herself, and she's looking in, and she sees an angel at the head of where Jesus would have been laying. And then she sees another angel at the feet, I'm going, to be, I'm going to read uh, chapter 28, starting with verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. So you've got some of the Pharisees there that are watching. You've got the Roman soldiers that are there that are watching. I doubt the Pharisees were really there. They were just to make sure that there was a watch there. The Roman soldiers had to be there 24 hours a day and to watch this until after the third day. So the watch was very sure. But the people who are watching, can you imagine the earth shaking and the stone rolling away and then seeing an angel sitting on the stone, they were petrified. They were so scared they were like dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for... So there's more than just Mary Magdalene there. There's many women there. Remember, there were several women that were carrying the spices. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. Now that is the gospel according to the angels. Everything you need to go and witness for Jesus Christ is right here in what the angels said. I shared this this morning. The first thing he says is reassuring declaration when he said, fear not. And then he said, for I know, which is 
we should have that in us as well, that fullest appreciation of everything that is in our Bibles and that we know for sure that this all happened. If you are doubtful when you're trying to convince somebody of something, they pick up on it right away. You need to have an I know attitude when it comes to the gospel message. That ye seek Jesus which was crucified, which is, was crucified is divine substitution. He took your place on that cross. So we have to remember to say Jesus was crucified for me and you. He is not here for he is risen as he said. He told them all about this leading up to this event. So it's vindication. For all what the Old Testament has told us, with the prophets, all, all of what Moses said, all the prophets, the Psalms, all of it speak of Jesus. And it's vindication of what Jesus actually said when he was telling his disciples how all of this had to happen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And then verse 7, And go quickly and tell. Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it in the valleys. Go tell it in the towns, in the cities. Go and tell. Joyous proclamation. That's the way what we should be doing. And then, that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Satisfying revelation. One day you will see him again. But hopefully, it's for eternity and not just for some judgment. Everyone is going to bow before Jesus Christ one day. Hopefully, it'll be because you're going to be with Him forever. But, if you don't believe on Him, not just believe that He did these things, if you, if you just believe that Jesus did all these things, and that's all you believe, you're lost. And you will suffer in hell forever. It's not, an, just, it's not just an intellectual knowledge of Jesus and what He did. It has to also become a heart knowledge as well. But having an intellectual knowledge of what happened is wonderful because if you don't have that, you'll never get it to your heart. Many times you'll hear me pray and I say, I'll pray that, Lord, I pray that this word, I pray that uh, uh, this message today has, has entered into the minds and the hearts of the people. Because until it comes through your mind, it will never make it to your heart. You do have to have an intellectual knowledge, but if it stops there, you've missed it. It must continue in to the heart. And that's where true salvation happens. Now, <clears throat> all these soldiers had to make up a lie that they fell asleep which would have been their, been their death sentence. But the Pharisees had come up with a bunch of money. You can keep reading if you, on your own time if you want to finish reading this. They paid off the soldiers with large sums of money for them to tell a lie. And the soldiers were like, uh, Mr. Pharisee, when Pilate finds out that we have to say we were sleeping, then he's going to kill us. He said, we'll, we'll take care of all that. 
So the, the, the rumors went out that the disciples came by night and stole the body of Jesus away. Now I'm going to, let's back up just a little bit. That's, that's the Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But I want to show you something. When Jesus, going, let's go back to where Jesus was hanging on the cross. Oh, in Luke. In Luke. We already talked about the first thing that Jesus said when he was on the cross. I want you to look at, and remember, it's really important that you remember there were two thieves hanging on either side of Jesus, right? Y'all remember that? Now, if you read Matthew's account, or Mark's, or John's account, you're not going to see any repentant thief. You are going to hear in the other Gospels how both thieves and all the crowd riled on him and mocked Jesus on the, while he was hanging on the cross. So both of the, both of the thieves at some point at the beginning of being hung on the cross with, you know, they're all there together, both of them had bad things and mocking things to do with Jesus. But something happened to one of them. There was, you, you know, I, I, I say that the Word of God enlightens the soul. That repentant thief, we know that he, he turned from being a non-believer to a believer right there hanging on the cross. We know that if you know your scripture, and you've read it out of Luke's account. It's the only one that has a little section that tells you that there was a repentant thief. Thieves, most people just can't stand a thief. Most, you think about it, think about it. You, you could not stand a thief, but what if I told you each and every one of us is a thief? And you're like, oh, no, no, I have never stolen anything from anybody, no. Look at all of the health and blessing, the wonderful life that God has given you. What have you ever done for Him to repay Him for what He has done for you? You have robbed God, not just in tithes and offerings, but in all kinds of ways. We're all guilty. We are all just like the thieves that were hanging on either side of Jesus. There, so, so you need to see the Word of God. You need to hear it. You need to see it, read it, and that enlightens your soul. So what did this thief see that was the Word of God? Remember how they wrote, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews and nailed it above his head? That's some word of God right there, and it was true. It was, it was so much true that the Pharisees saw it and said, no, you need to change it. Change it to, he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what is written is written. He wasn't going to change it. Why? Because God decided that is exactly what he wanted written above Jesus. And no man was going to change it. I pity 
the soul of the person who changes the Word of God. So the thief is, is, has gone from reviling Jesus, talking bad about Him, to seeing what's written above Jesus' head. And something is, is happening to him. The Holy Spirit is teaching him something. Why? I can't explain why. I can't explain why the other thief saw the very same things and didn't repent. I can't explain that to you. I can just tell you that one of them saw the Word of God, one of them was being convicted by the Holy Spirit, and so much so that they looked at the other thief and said, Do you not fear God? They're both the same. But the one realizes that they are going to be judged and it's going to be a righteous judgment. The thief said, Look, this man here pointing to Jesus, he did not do anything wrong. Can you say that? Can you walk around and say Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God? He was perfectly sinless. And He went to the cross. He went to a cross that I should have been nailed to. He said, we are going to face judgment and we should. Do you have that kind of attitude? Do you say, or you say, I'm better than most. I'll probably be picked by God to go to heaven. Or are you like this thief saying, I deserve to be judged for my sins, I, and, I should, and I'm going to get hell which I deserve? Do you have that kind of attitude? Do you think that way? You need to if you don't. You deserve the fires of hell, but somebody stood in the way to keep you from going there. And this thief is acknowledging these things. He is becoming humble at heart and realizing, I'm a sinner, I deserve judgment. Don't you fear God? This man here, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. He's perfectly innocent. Things that are critical that we must believe in to be saved. He saw the Word of God hanging above Jesus' head. It enlightened his soul. And the Holy, Holy Spirit starts to teach him things and he's got to be remembering what the first words that Jesus said. When, when this thief was like, if you, they, they were saying, and the Pharisees were saying, if you're really the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from that cross. And this thief is thinking, he could save himself, but he is, he is actually giving up his life for me. He could save himself. But he won't, because he's too concerned about my soul. He's going to stay there and suffer in agony. And not only suffer in agony, but he is going to have the weight of every person's sin placed on him and allow it to happen. And you would think that this, this thief is actually going to ask Jesus something. And, and it's not the right time, right? Jesus is kind of in a bad spot. He's nailed to a cross, and all the weight of the world is on Him, all the sins of the world, and you're going to ask Jesus to, to remember you? How dare you? How dare you 
uh, inconvenience him. He's going through something really bad right now. Can't you just leave him alone? And he said, all he said to Jesus, because he's remembering that this man is hanging here in agony, and all he's heard him say is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That had to have just got into him and started the whole process. And he looked at Jesus and said, Lord, why would he call him Lord? Because he knew he was the king that that inscription above his head said he was. He was, he was acknowledging that he is Lord. Can you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord? Remember me. Remember me. That thief had no one in this world that cared about him anymore. And nobody was going to remember him for very long after he was gone. But he's asking Jesus to remember him. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's all he said. But he said so much in those few words. He said so much in those very few words. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He didn't say, Today you'll be in paradise. He said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus wants you to be with Him. If Jesus can save a soul being nailed to the cross, how much more can He save anybody who calls upon Him when He has been risen from the grave? This thief is a beautiful picture of how we can do nothing to get to the point where we deserve salvation. This thief could not walk in the ways of righteousness. His feet were nailed to a cross. He couldn't do any good works. His hands were nailed to a cross. And we need to understand that we cannot bring anything in that we've done good. And we cannot depend on anything we do after. Did he, was he able to do anything for God after becoming saved, this thief did absolutely nothing after. So the works that you do after salvation don't keep you saved, but out of love for God, we should do works for Him, but don't ever count on them as securing your salvation. And we see that in this picture right here. So if Jesus can... If Jesus can save this sinner while being nailed to a cross and all the sins of the world placed on him, imagine the confidence you should have in a risen Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, you have told us in your word that Jesus was delivered 
delivered unto us to be, to be a sacrifice on that cross according to the Scriptures. And Father, we have been told through the Scriptures that He rose again the third day. Father, Your Word, Your wonderful words of salvation are in our Bibles. And Father, we have Your Word. Father, we have the Holy Spirit here with us now, convicting our souls and and comforting us. And Father, we know that we will see Him again. That He has gone to prepare a place for us. And Father, that He will be coming back to get us so that we can spend eternity with Him. Father, I pray that each and every soul that's here today will call out to You, that will recognize that Jesus is Lord. He is the King of not just the Jews, but of everyone. Father, and His kingdom is coming. Father, we know that He is coming back again to set up His earthly kingdom. Father, we are looking forward to the day where we will be uh, either either we die and, and we're present with you at that moment, or the day that Jesus comes back and takes us from here. Father, thank you for all these people who showed up today. I pray that your word has enlightened their souls and the Holy Spirit is convicting their souls, and that each and every one of them, through faith in Jesus Christ, faith in, the, in your Son, that they will have their souls saved right here. Thank you, Father. In Christ's wonderful name, we pray. Amen.